So I've uh, been doing a lot of reflecting, um, and I realized that I, I have been essentially kind of involved in, in ministry ever since I was 19 years old. It's been, been kind of a long time. I'm currently 43 years old. Um, and I would say one of the things that I've always kind of come across on, so like when I have conversations with people and we're counseling or if I'm being counseling, one of the hardest things that I find that most Christians struggle with is keeping this idea of grace in front of us at all times. Because if we think about it, like when we first come to know Jesus, we're kind of just entrenched in this idea of this amazing grace, right? We, we understand and we realize that it's, it's not about us. We realize all of our, our shortfalls and our insufficiencies, and we know that we need Jesus. We need a Savior in order to kind of give that to us. But over time, what happens, accepting that grace becomes harder and harder. And oftentimes, people will come to me, and they'll, 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 we'll, we'll have conversations, and it'll be like, I just don't feel like I've... I feel the same grace of God. I don't know how God can still love me after I've kind of like just done the same sin over and over and over again. Right? It's, it's probably one of the, the biggest struggles that uh, essentially we all face. And when accepting grace becomes harder, then accepting our own good works becomes a whole lot easier. So I'm going to give an example here. The year was 1998. So there should be something here on the sides. Now... <laughs> I'm, I'm not showing this uh, just so to kind of prove that I did have hair. Um, and yes, those are blonde highlights in that hair as well, because again, it was the 90s. Um, uh, but this was actually the year that I became a Christian. Um, now, I, 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 if you don't know anything about my story, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. Um, and when I was 11 years old, my parents actually got divorced. And that was one thing, like I, I didn't have any kind of a, other foundation in my life except for my family. Uh, and so when that happened, that really sent me into kind of this, like, downward tailspin. Now, the reality was I really wasn't a great kid before that. So after that, it just was a whole lot worse is the reality. So um, long story short, I was no longer allowed to go to private or public school anymore. So I ended up going to this Christian private school. And it was essentially kind of the only school that would take me at the time. Um, and so that was in the seventh grade. And through that time, I kind of had just, I would just say kind of, these close contacts with Jesus, where he would just be kind of reaching out and speaking to me in different ways. And I remember the first time. The first time was at the end of my eighth grade year. We kind of did this, we had, they had this like, you know, kind of conference type thing where they had a speaker come out and talk to us. And he, he talked on a lot of different things, one of those kind of ex-football player type things where they're just motiv motivating you and sharing kind of his life. But at the end, I remember him saying, hey, if you want peace, you need to come down. And that's what struck me, because that's what I didn't have in my life. I didn't have any type of peace. My life was just turmoil. So I did. I went down, and I kind of did the whole altar call thing. Um, I didn't become a Christian at that point. But what I did notice, I did notice kind of God calling out and reaching to my life. And right after the service, um, I remember standing out kind of like with a bunch of my friends. And at this time, I had a really, really bad mouth. Like, I was the type of person that would try to, like, make up new curse words by combining multiple curse words, and that's kind of how I would speak. And I was like, hey, this is fun, and that's just, that's the type of person I was. Um, but I remember at that moment, kind of looking over, catching a glimpse of myself in the mirror when I, like, said this curse word. And I got, uh, and it was a glass reflection, but I got convicted, and I never felt that before. I never felt like, hey, this is something that you probably shouldn't do. And then since then, I've had, I had things like that. But it wasn't until my, my senior year, um, right before, I was actually lying in bed and just had this very still and 
quiet connection with Jesus and just understanding kind of who he was and what I needed from him and why it was so important of the sacrifice. And I remember just meeting Jesus there that night. Now, the reason why this is, this is relevant is because the, the, actually the school that I was saved in and the church I was a part of at the time was kind of part of the, uh, was an Assembly of God church. It was part of the kind of the Pentecostal thing. Now, I'm not, I don't want to kind of like denounce any kind of thing Pentecostal-wise, but for me, um, growing up in the church, there, a lot of emphasis was put on emotion. A lot of it was kind of putting on like you have to have a lot of zeal and fervor and kind of doing a lot of good things. And if you portrayed those things, hey, you were kind of pushed into the front. And so for me, who's somebody that kind of struggled with a lot of kind of like ego and pride, that was awesome. Like that was me. I was like, hey, I can do this, right? I can. And so you're able to kind of get out in front. You can lead a lot of things. You can do fun stuff. Um, and that was kind of further exemplified because uh, also during this time frame, there was, there was something called the power team. Now, if you don't know what the power team was in Christian circles, Basically, it was a group of people that what they did, they went to different schools and they went to like, you know, uh, churches in order to give like these motivational speeches by breaking things. Um, so a lot of those things would be like, uh, you know, you would kind of like break bricks or tear telephone books or break bats and do all this stuff. You know, everything kind of like in the, in the power of Jesus, right? You can achieve all things. I can do all things through Christ. And obviously that's, that's in Philippians. So we'll definitely talk about that. Um, so that's one thing I was like, man, I really want to do that. So Katie, if you want to put up the next slide. Um, <laughs> yes, that, that is me. That was, I was breaking bricks. I was like, again, fully into this. That was like a neighborhood outreach thing that we did. Uh, yeah, whole lot of fun. And by the way, like I know my kids are going to ask about this later. I don't think they're in here, but they would. It was, it's, it's a gray photo, not because I'm old, but because uh, it was just we were a, kind of a poor school. So we couldn't do a lot of things in color. So that, that's the reason why I was. Um, and so that was kind of the same fervor that I had. I'm going to tell one more story. And, and again, um, um, I, I'm speaking, uh, kind of uh, telling you a lot more stories here, uh, just kind of because of, if you haven't heard, like this is going to be my last time preaching here at the Hallows. So because of that, um, I am going to be telling a little bit more stories this morning. So you're welcome. Um, <clears throat> so I, I kind of took the same type of fervor when I went into college. In college, I took this speech class. My goal going into the speech class is I'm going to share the gospel with this entire class. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. Because so I kind of have this, this fire inside of me. So at the end of the year, there was like a, kind of a final speech that we had to give. And what I wanted to do, I wanted to do a motivational speech. And I was like, hey, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something power team-ish because, hey, it's going to be awesome. All right. Now, I realized I couldn't take a bunch of bricks into class. That would be just a little too hard. And uh, even though telephone books were a little bit more common back then, they were still hard to come by uh, for the most part. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to break a bat because that was the other thing that we did. That we did. Um, so I ended up going to the Walmarts. Uh, I bought two of the exact same kind of bat. I took one home. And basically what you do, you kind of take this bat, you put it over your leg, and you just kind of you bend it down. And if you do it right, you could snap it. Um, and I did. Like, it took about maybe, like, 45 seconds, and I snapped this bat. I'm like, this is awesome. This is what I'm doing. So I've got this whole thing planned. I'm in speech class. I'm going through it. I'm kind of building up to this climactic point of saying, you know, Louisville Slugger says that the average person can't break their bat. 
And so what I'm trying here to tell you is that you can do all things through Christ. And I was like, I was kind of working the crowd. I'm getting up and I'm struggling and I cannot break this thing to save my life. It is like bending over my leg. You can see the bat arching and I'm just like struggling there. And so other than that being just a little bit cringe, I did kind of have to be like, any other day this thing would have broken and then kind of ended with that. So it didn't really have the same impact that I was planning the impact to have it on. Um, now, wh why, why did I say all these stories um, other than to entertain? However, um, this was really kind of my foundation, um, my, my pre-Christian life in terms of the things that I did in order to kind of have my, my foundation. Um, and also, like, even those, those kind of negative things that I learned growing up in church was that I had to do a lot of the things on my own. Like, I had to be a certain way. I had to try really hard to do things. And so when things get hard... It's really, really easy to go back to unhealthy patterns of, of self-reliance. And so we look at those negative patterns. For me, a lot of it had to do with like grit or getting into task mode or caring about like the job or myself more than other people. Or even like positive things like in the church, it's about like, you know, maybe putting on a happy face that like I, I need to serve more. I got to do more for Jesus, right? Those type of things. And so like I always have to ask myself the question, am I doing these things for God or myself? And I know a lot of people that I've talked to over the years kind of struggle with the same type of thing. Um, and I've kind of realized there, there are two type of ways that I kind of go into this. Number one, it could either be a slow transition. You know, I've talked with people where it's like, you know, I just feel like I, was, I started off really good. And I look back a year later, then all of a sudden I just feel like I haven't prayed in a while. I haven't like read my Bible in a while. I just don't feel connected to Jesus. Or like a lot of times for me, like I realize it's a, it's a daily struggle. I have to wake up every day and make the choice to say, I'm going to serve out of the, the abundance of my heart and the overflowing of my heart rather than serving in my own strength. Because if I serve in my own strength, that's what the problem is. Now, the answer to, to all of this is grace. It's God's amazing grace. And that's really what we see in this passage so Paul is, is warning the Philippian church to watch out for those um, that say that you have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. Now, most likely, these were, these were Jewish converts to Christianity. And they, and a lot of times what they were doing, they were stirring up and saying, okay, because now that you are kind of being brought into this, this Jewish faith, the continuation of the Jewish faith, you have to do these things. You have to be circumcised. You have to do, do, do all this other stuff. And so Paul calls them out here. And in fact, he uses the word, he calls them dogs. Which is pretty ironic because that was the word that the Jewish leaders used for the Gentiles. So now he's going to the Gentiles and he's saying, no, those people are dogs. Watch out for the dogs is essentially what they're doing. They're preaching a, um, a false gospel. And he starts to build this argument even more in verses kind of four through six. That's when he starts talking about, listen, if you want to talk about law, you want to talk about righteousness, well, look at me. Look what I've done. I've got more than they have. Like I've done more. I've suffered more. I've persecuted more. I have more right to say that. But then he kind of backs off of that. And the reason why is because this, this kind of passage has a lot of weight for the Philippians. So if you remember, the, the very first time we kind of started this sermon, we went through and we talked a little bit about the history of Philippi. And in fact, the very first time the Philippians heard the gospel was in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas, they brought the gospel into, um, into the city and they were imprisoned. And then they, there was an earthquake and they were let go. Um, but this happened right after the Council of Jerusalem in about 50 AD. You see that in Acts chapter 15. 
That is the council where basically they debate this issue because there was a lot of this going on. There was a lot of um, kind of the Jewish converts saying that you have to be circumcised. And so the disciples, uh, mainly James and Peter, they were the ones having this argument talking about, no, it's not about that. And they, would, they were talking about evidence and they, all this stuff. So I, I encourage everyone to read Acts 15. But kind of the summation of that, they believed that it was not right to put the weight of the law on the Gentile believers. And they kind of reflect more on the, on the kind of the purpose of the law. And that the law is meant to be a reflection of our sin and to show our need for a savior. And so Romans is great about this. The first eight chapters of Romans, if you really want a good book that kind of talks about this dynamic relationship between the law and the need for Jesus, uh, Romans 1 through 8 is, is awesome. And so we see it in Romans 3, uh, verses 10 through 12. He says, Paul says, there is no one righteous, and he's quoting the Old Testament, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And then he culminates all of this in Romans 8, 1 through 4, when he says, Now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk in according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so in, in verses 8 through 9 in our, in our current passage, um, Paul takes that forward. And so he says, okay, all this stuff that I did, all this stuff that I would be proud of, all this stuff that the, the Jewish people would look up to me and say, you are awesome, you're an amazing purpose. He says, I count it all as dung, filth. It, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. N none of that is, is what Jesus was requiring in order for us in order to serve him. Because all of that was about what he can do. But their best was never good enough. And that's why, again, in, in Peter, in, uh, Peter says in Acts 15.10, he says, why are you testing God? And he's speaking to the other kind of th this council at the time. Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? And so the law is this yoke that we cannot bear. Again, it's a reflection of the fact that we need Jesus. So Paul steps up and then he says in verse 10 here in Philippians, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, really what he's talking about here, he's talking about a denial of oneself. He's saying, th this following Jesus is not about the things that I'm able to do. It's, it's not about being able to show that I'm a good person. It's not about being able to kind of step out and say, I have done all these things, therefore I am justified. That's not what he's saying, is that his goal in perseverance, it's about knowing the person of Jesus Christ more and more every single day. And I love the words that he kind of talks about here is basically if you're kind of looking through these verses, he says, I have been taken hold by Christ Jesus. I didn't reach out. I didn't grab it. But I personally have been taken hold by Jesus Christ. And so he says kind of the ways to do that is through two ways. It's through humility and perseverance. 
And humility, we kind of see that here in verse 11. And we need to be careful kind of when you're reading verse 11 and 12. um, Because it says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Um, And then go from there, he kind of talks about, like, I haven't already, um, I haven't kind of attained this yet. Um, This isn't Paul struggling with, like, if he's saved or not, you know, because some commentators will, will say something like that. This is more Paul responding to some of the criticisms that are going on. So there's a lot of people, and basically what they're doing is that they're saying, hey, don't listen to what Paul's saying, listen to us, because again, I, I may have been a Pharisee, like I, I was able to kind of like, you know, I lived this, this religious life longer than you guys have, so you should listen to us and get circumcised, because that's the important thing. So that was the mentality that was going on. So Paul is basically confronting that with humility. And he's saying, listen, like, we all need this. We all need um, Jesus in order to bring us through this. This is not about me obtaining this. This is about us needing to follow Jesus more. And in order for him to kind of get to that point, he's, he's pulling himself back and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, I still need Jesus to perfect my faith, to perfect righteousness. And ultimately that happens um, when, we, when we see Jesus face to face. Before that, it is a process of being, being made holy through, through Jesus. The perseverance he talks about is the effort to know Jesus more. And again, knowing Jesus more is not about doing the stuff in our own strength. Knowing Jesus more is about persevering to doing the things that essentially that were in order that put us in that standing in fellowship with Christ. And what Paul is talking about, going back to verse 10, it's knowing him in the power of his re- resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. There is a suffering, there is a knowledge that comes through suffering that can't happen anywhere else. And it, it, this, is, this is a really hard thing to kind of really to take on when we read the scriptures. Um, especially I would say in the American church. In the American church, it's very, very common to be able to make ourselves comfortable. We fight for things. We, 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 we vote for things that make our lives here much easier. And what Paul is saying is that it's through those sufferings, it's through those trials, it's through those hardships where we can then relate with Jesus. So our goal is not to necessarily jump into sufferings, but it's also not to run away from sufferings either. It's to press into Christ, and if he leads us to do things that are hard, then that's what we do. If he leads us to speak to people and get into relationships that are hard, then that's what we do. If it leads us to make decisions, to have to move away from friends and family, then that's what we do. Not because it's what we desire, but because it's what Jesus desires. We want to be obedient. We want to follow him in everything, in every situation. And I love this at the end, in verses 13 through 14. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So obviously, as you know, as I'm studying this week and reading this, this verse obviously had a lot of significance for me. Um, Oftentimes, reaching forward and reaching ahead is uncomfortable. And again, when it's hard, it can, be, it can be easy for us to kind of revert back to those things, to kind of take control, to, to rely on those, those things of our old self that bring us comfort, to make decisions that are best for, for me and not what God is calling me to do. Um, it was hard for me and my family to move up here 
uh, when we did eight years ago to leave our church and our family and friends. Um, and it's just as hard to, to move back and to leave Seattle, to leave a church that we love so dearly and friends that we've just gotten so close to. But what we do know is that following Jesus is the path that, that we are supposed to be on. And again, it, it is going to be hard, and it does require sacrifice. But in the end, we can rest knowing that God is control. He's going to hold all things together in his hands. Um, so th- this is going to be really short this morning, and it's on, it's on purpose. Um, <clears throat> but we're actually going to go into our communion right now. Um, and if you, if you kind of remember from the past couple weeks where we're kind of instituting a time where we're going to have some, some testimonies here after the service. So if you're watching on the live stream, um, we're going we're to end the service here kind of after the sermon. Um, but as we, as we go into communion, one thing I really want to point out, because obviously the whole point of this is that the whole point of communion is remembering the sacrifice that Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're doing that corporately. Now, I also want to point out that it's not only that we're doing that corporately together here in the church, but we're doing that with the rest of the Christians around the world. And so no matter if we are together, for a part, when we take communion, we take communion with every believer, with all of our friends that are Christians, no matter where they are. And that's what binds us together, and that's what keeps us together in hearts. And so, um, I will remember uh, my Seattle brothers and sisters. And Courtney, I will be blessed by knowing that we are all glorifying Jesus together, no matter where we are. And I want to end here with kind of some words from Ephesians verses 4, 1 through 3. And it says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for for your goodness and grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought us all together by your providence. And one day you will bring all people from every nation together in glorifying and and worshiping you. And we pray that going from here, going from this building, going into our normal everyday lives, that no matter where we are, that we can stop and we can be thankful for the things that you have done for us in the past. And pray, Jesus, that you can give us the strength to follow you into the future. And we love you, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen.